If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. I want to be the best. I want to be the champion. So yeah, in a way, that kind of feels as a failure that I haven't been able to achieve that with Mercedes. But I've tried everything. I've given everything. It just wasn't meant to be. Welcome everyone to Beyond the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. We've got a treat for you this week because my guest is the man who started last weekend's Mexican Grand Prix on pole position. It was his second pole in three races, proof if it were needed that he's driving out of his skin at the moment. The man I'm talking about is, of course, Valtteri Bottas. Valtteri's moving on from Mercedes next year, so I thought this an opportune moment to speak to him about his time at the Silver Arrows. The highs, the lows, the pressures, and of course, about the new challenges presented by his move to Alfa Romeo next year. I've always enjoyed speaking to Valtteri because he's one of the most straightforward drivers on the grid. He's a no-nonsense Finn, but he's also got a great sense of humour. I hope you enjoy hearing what he has to say. Valtteri, it's great to have you back on the show. How are things? It's been a while. It's been a while. When was last time? Two years ago. Really? Time flies, doesn't it? No way, it's two years. Yeah. It's crazy. How have you been? I've been good. It's been, yeah, quite a bit of things happening in, in two years in, in the world, um, in my life. And yeah, I mean, but yeah, I'm good. I'm good. When you look at the last 24 months, how's life been for you in terms of with the lockdown and what have you learned about yourself? Um, yeah, quite a bit has gone in 24 months. I've actually gone through a divorce. I don't want to bring back bad memories, but you were doing that when we last did the pod. And I was like, I didn't realize it at the time. And I was like, oh, no, this is the last thing Valtteri wants to be doing now. <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm happy to talk, talk about things. I'm really, really honest, man. But yeah, so obviously that changed my life quite a bit. So a certain link to, to Finland became a bit weaker. Um, obviously, yes, still been going every now and then. When I've been able to see my parents in, in Finland, but uh, I've been much more based in in Monaco than than before, and it, it has really become a proper base base for me. And uh, but yeah, you know, then obviously lockdown happened. It was interesting time to actually learn a bit more about myself and uh, actually the life outside Formula One. That there is actually plenty of cool cool stuff to do, <laughs> and uh, it gave me definitely lots of more energy and uh, motivation to carry on even longer with my career because it was like an unexpected break from all the hectic uh, lifestyle of Formula One. So I managed to be in one place for a few months without traveling and uh, then getting back to racing. It was like, it was so, so exciting and nice again. And uh, it's been nice, nice ever since. How did the break change your relationship with Formula One? During the break, what I realized that after Formula One, because eventually nothing lasts forever, when it's time for me to do something else, there will be still lots of joy in life and other things to do. So it's nice to know that, you know, it's not everything. 
for me, the, the lockdown period also put many things in perspective. What is actually important in life? You know, first thing obviously is the health. But it's, it's you know, in the end, it's the simple things that makes you makes you happy. And uh, also, everything in the world is always relative. And yeah, it was it was nice. So actually, that opened my my thinking and awareness of, of life quite a bit. Because can you remember a time in your life when racing wasn't the most important thing? Because it started so young for you, didn't it? I can't. Yes. Was it almost like the first time in your life that you'd press pause on your career and thought outside the bubble? Indeed. First, it was difficult to accept because I never had it in my career that for a few months you're not allowed to race, <laughs> you know, apart from the, the usual winter break we have. It was difficult to, to accept, but then I just tried to accept it and I really tried to make most out of the time uh, that I had those, those few months. What did you miss about racing? I missed that feeling of like before the race, you're going to the grid, uh, that feeling of um, excitement, adrenaline, it's just the, the competition itself. I was lucky that during during that break, I still managed to drive quite a bit, like go-karting, a bit of rallying and stuff, but not competing, obviously. But that competition, I, I really missed and that, that feeling it gives you. And it seems that during lockdown, your cycling went up a notch or two, is that fair? Oh yeah, that is fair. <laughs> first, I, How much did you do? Yeah, first I thought it was going to be like maybe one month and we get back to racing, but it ended up being a few months. And um, yeah, my cycling fitness came to a pretty pretty good level. Um, obviously, yeah, with my girlfriend, who's a pro cyclist, I was keeping up with, with her training and uh, doing nice cross training. And how much did I do? I think probably during those few months, more than 5,000 kilometers on a, on a bike. That's uh, mad. Yeah. <laughs> and don't be modest. How good are you on a bike now? I think I'm quite okay. You know, I think obviously I can't be too good because I can't train like a pro cyclist. Because in Formula One, if you start training like too much endurance, too long hours, in the end it starts to kill your speed. Your decision-making skills, your kind of quick fiber reactions. Hang on, that's interesting. Why? Why does it do that? It, it, it's just how the body works. You know, if you start to do too much endurance training, it starts to eat up your other strengths. And my strengths as an athlete, I feel is, is good reactions, good coordination and, and speed. Um, and I don't want to lose that. So I always try to avoid like super long rides. Only I do them if I know that I have time to recover. As you say, Tiffany, uh, your other half is a professional cyclist. Is that useful in a way? Because she understands the pressures of being a professional sportsman. She can, when you get back from a Grand Prix and you just want to vent or, or, or celebrate or whatever it is, she's sort of been there, whatever the mood is. Does that help? It, it does. You know, I've also seen the same on, on her sport. Um, I, I think every professional sport, when you put all in, it's constant up and downs. And uh, sometimes the downs can be really tricky, but it is how, how you get up and get, having someone that understands, you know, that elevation <laughs> of, of sports uh, emotionally and physically it's uh, it's been really important and we've definitely both ways shared you know the, the good moments and also more difficult times how's your australian coming on it's um it's okay i, I know some phrases but unfortunately i've not been able to go there for quite a long time now yeah. um they've been pretty strict on on how, how to get there and especially for non-aussies but i know a few few words and yeah, one day fluently, I'll speak Australian. <laughs> <laughs> now look, what about this passion for coffee, right? Is it something you just do for Instagram or is it a genuine passion? Is it, can we call it an addiction? 
Yeah, it is addiction and, and passion, and especially good coffee. You know, people drink so much coffee in the world. <laughs> I've just got to interrupt you, right? So obviously people can't see your face right now, but you've suddenly put your serious face on. We're talking about coffee here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it's, it's, a, it's an important thing. And I, I want to encourage people to drink more good coffee and from good sources because there's massive differences on like a bulk uh, type of, of coffee, you know, where it comes from, how it comes from, how much actually the coffee farmers get out of it, etc. So I'm one of the owners of one roastery, coffee roastery in Finland, and we work really directly with the farmers and trying to minimize any middleman taking cuts and so on. And it's great quality coffee and it's roasted with, with passion. Um, and yeah, for me, it's an important thing. Now, what does your trainer, Auntie, make of this coffee? Because from a purely from a professional sportsman point of view, does it have side effects, negative side effects? Because obviously it gives you that boost, but also... I guess it has the opposite effect as well. If you have too much coffee, yes, it can have negative side effects. You know, in endurance sports, it can lead to stomach cramps. It can lead to nervousness, uh, high heart rate. But if you can optimize the caffeine intake, there actually is benefits proven in endurance sports and also in terms of your, your focus. So I always try to find that optimal peak of the caffeine boost before the race start what so quick espresso before you go to the grid for me what works um, well is yeah between 100 and 120 milligrams of caffeine uh, before a race let's say 45 minutes before that's like the, the optimal and i love this story you told me the other day of you being a judge at the finnish coffee championships how many shots of coffee was it did you say 27 i think shots? it could have been 27 yes yeah and the other judges obviously spat it out but you yeah. chose not i did to. it yeah i didn't it's same like if i go for wine tasting i don't spit it out same with coffee so uh, but that was too much uh, that was too much coffee but uh, an interesting thing because you know obviously you teach your palate to to learn about differences in in coffee and you just start to pick up more and more things uh, the more you try different things right last question on coffee when you're tasting a really good coffee just describe it on the palate what does it taste of the beauty of coffee every coffee um, bean or brand and how it's roasted it is different but um, if I would describe my favorite type of coffee it's almost like a tiny bit fruity really smooth low in acidity maybe hint of caramel and milk chocolate amazing amazing I love that <laughs> oh Valtteri well look what, let's talk a little bit on track now because I thought it was a really good time to just catch up with you because the five years of Mercedes coming to an end. How will you reflect on this period of, of your career? It was an um, interesting period, a great opportunity for me as a driver, uh, an opportunity to achieve race wins, pole positions, to be part of a team, winning team for four years in a row, winning the constructors together, hopefully five years at the end of this season. And I've grown massively like uh, as, a, as a driver, as a human being, uh, I've learned so much. But at the same time, it's been, it's been demanding. People expect a lot from you. Um, people demand a lot from you. And it's, quite, it's been quite consuming as well. Like, because always when I try to find more and more about myself, it consumes energy. And uh, sometimes you're almost like floating on the limit that do you enjoy it or, or not? You know what I mean? So uh, it's been hard work, but... Now, looking at the big picture, it's been a great time. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to the Valtteri coming into the team back in 2017? 
probably a bit more patient in a way that uh, because I came to 2017 saying to myself that I'm going to win the championship now like I got to do it now and I got to immediately get Paul's wins which eventually I got pretty quickly but then I'm sure there was times that I was trying too hard because the level Lewis is performing is quite difficult to match and it's such a fine sport as well that if you try too much then Normally the stopwatch, it doesn't like it. Um, it's a pretty sensitive sport. And, and then especially 2018, I mean, it started quite okay with good performances, but no wins. But then it just went downwards and uh, it, it was tough. So I, I would say a bit more patient. And if I knew in 2017 that I would be with the team for five years, I, I think I would have allowed myself a bit more time to learn about things step by step and uh, also be a bit more forgiving to myself um, but in my mind, I thought it was like a one-year opportunity. And then next year, same thing. It was always one year, one year, one year. So I never had that peace of mind to give me kind of a bit of flexibility on my own, own criticism. Do you think you would have performed better, particularly in those early years, had you come in with a multi-year deal? Knowing myself now and how, how I felt since I've secured my future, absolutely. Absolutely, but it's a bit late now. Half a dozen races to go in this 2018 Formula One season. Let's hope for six of the best as we approach round 16 of 21. Welcome along to Sochi by the shores of the Black Sea. We have just completed lap 22. We're on lap 23. Look how much closer Lewis Hamilton is to his teammate Valtteri Bottas. So you need to let Lewis buy into turn 13 this last. Valtteri Bottas has just let Lewis Hamilton pass. I just saw Toto Wolff's finger loitering on the tactical button. Valtteri, this is Toto. Uh, difficult day for you and difficult day for us. Let's discuss it afterwards when we, when we come together and we'll uh, explain the things. Let Lewis buy. You touched on 2018 there. How difficult was it to let Lewis through to win the Russian Grand Prix? Because it was a difficult year and it seems that that was the catalyst for things not improving. It, in hindsight, it looked like that way. It, is that how you see it? Yeah, it, it was tough. You know, obviously I made the decision. I did it. Although it was like, I don't know what's the description, like biting my own teeth together and really didn't feel natural and not right because I'm a racer but uh, I did it for the team but I also think at that moment I lost certain sense of um, struggling with words like everything just became a bit more tricky after that for the rest of the season because I realized that okay my role is now basically just helping and I couldn't couldn't really um, digest that and um, then yeah I think I wasn't in the in the right mindset for the rest of the year Overall, do you feel you've been given a fair crack of the whip by Mercedes? I think so, yes. Honestly, I, I think so. And um, the thing is, there were some seasons that I started pretty strong. Then there was either a bit, bit of unlucky moments or um, maybe I had a bad race or two. And Lewis always kept performing in a really consistent way all the time. And then once there was a bit of a gap in the points, then yeah, then obviously the focus starts to shift um, to the car that is most likely going to win the championship. Is that the thing about Lewis? Is it his consistency that 
shines brightest of all? I would say the biggest difference between me and Lewis in the recent years was he's always been able to perform at a high level. He rarely had like bad weekends. He obviously had some, but less than me. And uh, it is impressive how he can always be there, no matter which conditions, which, which track, what life situation, whatever. Uh, once he gets in the car, he always delivers. And what about form? It's a question I do enjoy asking sports people. Do you believe in form? How do you create consistency in your own performance? Yeah, definitely believe in, in form. And to try and if you kind of get a good run of some races, it's a bit easier to maintain that good good energy. And um, it gives you confidence and that gives you peace of mind. And once you have peace of mind, then you perform. So absolutely. And yes, there is ways to try and try and be in that optimal mindset. Um, and it's a lot about your head in the end. It's, it's really a sport that um, you know the mental strength is, is such a big thing and I think that's quite a big big um, strength of Lewis. It's interesting isn't it because looking from the outside in so much is made of the physical fitness of you guys but would you say mental is more important than physical fitness? In the end all the drivers on the grid they're very fit physically they're fit enough to to win a race to be able to perform at, at a good level so then with such a fine margins in the end, it come, becomes from the, the mental strength. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Here in Hockenheim. Williams start the celebrations too. A 300th podium in Formula One, and this one belongs to Valtteri Bottas. Second place for him. Amazing. That was fantastic. Beat a Mercedes fair and square. Unreal. Great drive, Valtteri. P2. Which has been your best season so far? 2014. Really? Back in the Williams days. <laughs> I think it was the most complete season, I would say. it was. I had good consistency. Um, the whole season I managed to be in a, in a good mindset. Um, I was in a good place mentally. Yeah, I was just able to really focus on the driving and, and perform. And I think it was the first time that the only time so far in my career that I, I actually knew that I'm probably going to be with the team for next year or two. And I think that helped. But if I compare to... 2017, which was my first season with Mercedes, it was pretty good. But like I said, I was harsh on myself and I was expecting more. And 2019, 2020, being second in the Drivers' Championship, they were not bad. I mean, there was in 2019, uh, I would say probably it was the best season with Mercedes. I'm really interested in this 2014 best season because only your second season in Formula One. So pretty inexperienced really but in a way what no pressure was that one of the reasons do you think you performed so well that year could be I don't know or maybe you know the time just goldens the memories but uh, <laughs> yes. because it, it, it was great times because 2013 was a difficult season with, with, with Williams I only scored points once and 14 I scored six podiums I believe with Williams and um, 
there was this hype of actually, you know, being able to compete at the front and getting podiums. And it just carried on from the start of the season to the end in the whole team. Um, but yeah, ask me again in a few years. Maybe I, I choose one of the Mercedes years, who knows. But uh, I still believe that from that day to today, I've learned so much and I'm quicker driver, I'm better driver and more complete. But I feel like just there's been many out, other outside factors that hasn't allowed me to have clean seasons. And also I feel like uh, the luck really hasn't been on my side with Mercedes. Like I, maybe it just wasn't meant to be, you know. Do you think the Valtteri of today would have won races in 2014? Uh, I think I didn't win a race in 14, but if I could go back now to 14, I would be faster. I would be more consistent. Yes, so I feel like I'm, I'm a better driver, definitely. Just while we're talking, Williams, what was your reaction when the family sold up at the end of last year? I was a bit surprised, but, you know, I don't know all the details. And like in life and same thing in Formula One, nothing lasts forever. There's always changes in, in life and, and sport and it was time for that. But um, yeah, still I'm, I'm happy that they're still carrying the name. Really iconic name and obviously that was a team that gave me the opportunity to come to Formula One. What's the biggest difference between Williams and Mercedes? For me, it was the, the mindset. But also I, I jumped into uh, Mercedes at the time that they were already winning titles and that dedication, that hunger of always trying to do better and better, always trying to improve, the, the attention to, to small details, um, that was quite a big difference, but also bigger team, more people, more resources, bigger budget. So of the 10 races that you have won so far, which has been the best? First one. For the first time ever, Valtteri Bottas wins the Grand Prix. It's Bottas who takes it in Russia. Yes! Brilliant! Well done! <laughs> it took quite a while, huh? More than 80 races. <laughs> you never forget your first start. Okay. okay. Yeah, by far. Better than Turkey a couple of weeks ago. Well, Turkey was good. I think Turkey goes high on my list. Um, also, 2019 US Grand Prix and 2019 Australian Grand Prix. I would say Australian Grand Prix maybe comes after after my first win because that was like a, I, I wasn't in, you know sometimes as an athlete we we speak about this flow feeling that you get state of mind that everything almost feels easy and that race was just like yeah pure dominance and it wasn't easy but it almost felt like easy and uh, it was crazy like was that the best driving performance by you in terms of race yes that one also this year in monza probably was one of my best races starting from the back ending up on the, on the podium in terms of qualifyings one stands out it was um, barcelona qualifying maybe 19 again I, I think i had a pole by half a second from lewis that was that was a good one and how proud are you, Valtteri, of the contribution you've made at Mercedes towards all of these Constructors' Championships? I'm proud. And now definitely knowing that, you know, I'm continuing to another another team. I've had time to a little bit reflect every now and then of the situation. Because, you know, we've achieved some pretty, pretty special things together. Now four times, hopefully fifth in a row as a Constructors' Champion. And you do need good drive, uh, two, two drivers for, for that. Um, and also, you know, 
if you look at me and Lewis as teammates, if you look at the history of Form One, the amount of points wins podiums we've got together, for me it's hard to try and name a better better team. Uh, so uh, I'm I'm definitely proud and. The main thing is that I know that I've given everything. Like um, I can look in the mirror and say that I tried. I gave it everything I had. That's all I can do. Does it eat away at you that you haven't won the world championship? For sure, yes. Because that's ultimately since since a kid, it's the your goal, your your dream, and it has been always really, really strong in my mind as a, as a goal. And it's it's been a force that has kept me working hard. It's like every day. Whatever I do for this sport, it's because of that. I want to be the best. I want to be the champion. So yeah, in a, in a way, that kind of feels as a failure that I haven't been able to achieve that with Mercedes. But as I said earlier, on the other hand, I've tried everything I could have. You know, I've done, given everything. Uh, so it just wasn't meant to be, at least for now. My my career uh, still goes on and. In this crazy sport of Formula One, you just never know what happens next. Clearly, you're a team player. Had you been less of a team player, do you think you might be world champion? Do you think that's played against you? Only if I knew the answer to that. You know, if there's something I would have done different, how it would have impacted. All, all I know that if I hadn't been such a team player, there would have been more tension in the team. That would mean less cooperation between me and Lewis. That would mean in long term not as good performance as a team uh, as we have now because if there's harmony if we can work together then we're playing for long term for the for the best interest for the team we can develop the car together we can discuss things openly i always try to you know think about that plus there's been always this factor that i've been always on one year contract and if i start playing around what happens then also not having the the knowledge of of the future and what happens if i start to not to listen to the team or or team orders etc uh, it's been always a factor as well it's interesting this this one year contract and and i look back to 2019 great season for you second in the world championship four wins yet even that was stressful because i remember we went into the summer break and has valtteri got the drive for next year esteban ocon was being linked to it it must have been hard. Yeah, you know, you obviously try to convince yourself that it's not affecting and you try to block any, any negative thoughts. But when there's a lot of noise, which can happen in Formula 1, for sure it's not helping. And uh, you try to, there is a distraction, but you try to minimize the distraction. So, um, yeah, I think there's been a few times I've not been really in an easy situation with, with, with the contracts and with extra just talk and, um, and noise. And when you negotiate with Toto Wolf, and you explain how a multi-year contract would benefit you, what did he say? Toto thinks that um, pressure is good for me. Uh, he's obviously known me for a long time. I, I agree, pressure in for a certain length of time is good, and it can get more out of you. But if, it's, if you have pressure contractually for nine years of your Formula 1 career, year by year, it starts to eat you from inside, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think it's total saying pressure makes, makes diamonds. I think in in a way it, it's true, but there's also a limit, you know. There's a limit how how, how long can you maintain that uh, for your own well-being. What's it like to negotiate with Toto? 
he's tough. He's such a good and talented businessman. He knows the, the way to, to talk and uh, the strings to pull. And um, it's his job, you know, he's really, really talented on that. But at, at the same time, we, we've always agreed everything in, in really good faith. And um, because for, to me, he's a friend as well. I've known him for such a long time that, uh, yeah, for sure in negotiations, he, he always gets the upper hand, no matter who's on the other side of the table. But he's got, he's the man with the contract to give you, isn't he? It's kind of, it's, it's quite easy for him to be hard because ultimately he's the one making the decision, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Mercedes, they, they always have many other drivers to choose. So, you know, that's the situation. Yeah. Now, you say he's a friend. Uh, the fact that it's coming to an end, will that affect that friendship? No, not at all. We've, we've talked through things and, you know, this next chapter in my career and... I feel like nothing changes. Only thing is that he's not going to be my my boss anymore, but definitely he will be my my friend. And uh, yeah, so nothing changes with that. You know, he also understands you know the business side of the sport and um, driver markets, and also you know nothing lasts forever. Still, I feel like five years in in one team is is quite a good stint in Formula One. And um, yeah, so life goes on. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but I know that Fred Vasseur, your new team boss at Alfa Romeo, thinks pressure is a good thing for drivers as well. He said that to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've had good chats with, with Fred. I worked with him in, in uh, Formula 3 and GB3. We won the GB3 title together, but he, he understands drivers well. And, um, you know, of course, you know, you can't be almost like on a holiday mode you know, you need certain amount of pressure, and it comes also for me very naturally because I want to, I want good results, and for me, it's going to be really motivating actually with the, with the new team to try and bring my expertise and all the knowledge I have, all the experience I've gathered with Williams and with Mercedes. So it's going to be really interesting and exciting, and that's going to be the the pressure from my side to try and get to those um, positions that we want to get. It's probably not a coincidence that Fred and Toto are good mates, is it? Yeah, they've been good mates for a long time. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Just before we move on from Toto, uh, I did want to ask, how did he break the news to you that it was actually coming to an end? And It, it was honestly like we agreed. It was not like he, he told me. He knew that at some point, you know, we need to make decisions. And already I had decided myself that if I can't get two years or more with Mercedes, I'm definitely going to go for something new. And it was a simple question that can he offer me more than two years, two years or more. And he said, no, he can't at this moment. And then it was quite easy. Then, yeah, obviously it was very natural to get George in, in the car because he's been kind of part of a team for, for a long time and uh, is a new new generation. And that's also the, how, how the sport is evolving. And... Mercedes, you know, they've had this young driver program and George has been in that for a long time. And for them to waste that opportunity, you know, uh, in case he obviously still develops further and becomes more experienced and even quicker, they didn't want to miss the opportunity. So for me, it's all good. Like for me, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy. So. What advice would you have for George Russell? Just give yourself a bit of lead. You know, don't, don't think too short term because it, it, it's, a, it's a sport that there's so much always to learn. And yeah, take things step by step. But he, he's a talented driver and he's, he's going to have a great team to support him. He's going to be alongside Lewis that 
he will be able to learn from. So um, I don't think I need to give too many advices. Just maybe the mistake I did, I was a bit too harsh on myself uh, in in the very beginning. He'll be fine, I'm sure. So look, let's talk about this this new opportunity at Alfa Romeo. You've got the multi-year deal. Do you believe the team has everything it needs to succeed? I feel like they have. There is work to do, definitely. You know, obviously, good thing with Formula One in the future is is the budgets between the teams. They are going to be same, or if there's differences, they're quite minimal. Alfa Romeo has agreed to uh, support a team at least for the next two years. Uh, they have really talented engineers. Um, they have great factory, great wind tunnel. They have a good simulator that still has definitely work to do, but I can help with that. I see all the ingredients are, are there uh, for much, much better results than they're doing now. And I believe this regulation change now that is happening is a, is a great opportunity. And with the knowledge I have, you know, how, how early the team switched to development of the new car, etc. And what I've seen so far, I'm confident if we work hard and together, anything is possible. How much are you relishing, I feel of doing it already, building a team around you? For sure, it's going to be really interesting and getting to know the people and and really bringing up the, the team atmosphere. And yes, for the first time, I'll probably have more responsibility in a team that I've ever had. And that's for me really good feeling. And I'm definitely ready for that. It's going to be my 10th season in Formula One. And um, yeah, I'm ready to take the lead, build the team around and uh, push for great things together. What does success look like for you in 2022? What are you hoping for next year? Need to be realistic and it's so hard to predict. But as I said, I feel all the ingredients are there and the potential is there uh, with the people and with the facilities and with the regulation chains and not that dissimilar budgets. I think next year, realistically, we should be able to consistently be in the points, uh, sometimes hopefully close to a podium. I think that would be already a success, but um, I'm not setting any limits. There's no point setting in any limits what we can't do because anything is possible in, in this sport. I've seen that with Williams from 2013 to 14, that big swings can, can happen if you do things right. And um, that's why it's interesting because we just don't know what can we achieve together and I, I believe we can achieve big things. Have you been there yet? Uh, I've been there, yes, once. Uh, planning to go quite soon again. Yeah, trying to kind of start building the relationships and learning about the team. But obviously still the main priority has to be this season and getting the best possible result for Mercedes and I'm, I'm not, not compromising any time for that yet. But, um, you know, as soon as we get to the winter break and January, February, I'm sure will be will be busy times. Will anyone from Mercedes make the jump to Alfa Romeo with you? Uh, not sure yet. I think nowadays in Formula One, honestly, it's quite difficult to make jumps quickly. Normally, like you know, there's lead times and so on, but uh, you never know in the future. What about the schedule next year in terms of these these 23 races? As you say, it's your tenth year in Formula One. Do you support more races? Where are you at on that? I feel like we're starting to get to the limit. That's what I feel, like having more than we're going to have next year with also quite compressed calendar. I think we can't have that many more. I think, I mean, like how, how there's time and how logistically it's going to be possible. But I think we're in a good good amount now. That's my feeling. Um, 
but the calendar actually looks okay. I, initially, I thought there's going to be like four triple headers, but it, there's actually only two, and um, still we have an August break. But yeah, it's, it is hectic, but it is possible. But you know, the fun thing with Formula One that the time just flies, and the adrenaline this sport gives you—it just keeps you going. Yeah, it keeps you going like almost forever. And when you're moving to a new team, the, is is it a case of the more races, the better? As you get to know the car better, get to know the engineers better? In my situation and for us as a team, probably yes. Probably yes. But it's also the same for everyone. You know, with a new car, you do want the maximum mileage and experience. But um, I think it's a good opportunity for us. And Valtteri, you said that, that you want to keep focused on these last races with Mercedes. Are we at a point where you're being excluded from any conversations because they're worried that some secrets might walk with you to, to Alfa Romeo? You... Is there a sort of door that says Valtteri's not allowed in here? You know, the the fact is in in five years with a team you learn so much about, you know, what the car actually is like mechanically and aerodynamically and obviously I have lots of information of the current situation. But if I'm honest, yeah, like in, in the past years, around this time of the year, I used to hear things about the, the next coming car, how the development is going, but... Yeah, for maybe a month or so, I haven't heard a single thing about next year's car. Funny that. <laughs> Not a coincidence. <laughs> On the topic of, of sort of Mercedes and the fact that you've only been using a Mercedes engine in Formula One. Uh, were yeah, there also any... Renault, 2013. It was a Renault at Williams in 2013. Yep. Yep. Of course it was. But yeah, almost. Yeah. Uh, but almost. But were there any options to stay with a Mercedes-powered team next year? Yeah, yes, there was. There was an option. Yeah, for me, I think realistically, for long term, at that point, with not so many options, it was it was either Williams or Alfa Romeo. And and what swung it in the direction of Alfa Romeo? It was not the easy decision. I, I tried to dig as much information as I could from both sides, and at the same time, listen to my gut feeling, just based on the decision on information that I had. But yeah, it's not easy. Like, I mean, I, I really feel like Williams is on, on the upside now. I think they have a, have a good future. But somehow I had a feeling that Alpha was the right thing for me. Also, it was kind of nice to go to non-Mercedes power, not to have the link, like completely new, something completely different for me. Decent road cars still? Yeah, beautiful cars. You know, they're history cars. Some of them, they're amazing. And uh, also the new, new stuff they're bringing is really cool. Now, could this lead, Valtteri, to you wearing red one time? Could this lead to you wearing Ferrari overalls in the future? Because, as you say, you're jumping from Mercedes, it's Ferrari power. Is that somewhere in your thinking? I can't predict the future. And, you know, with this sport, you just never know what happens. You never know where I end up. But at least for the next next few years, I'll be with Alfa Romeo. And that's the thing that, that I'm looking forward to. But... I still have time in Formula 1, and you just never know. So, VB, in four races' time, it will be coming to an end with Mercedes. What will you miss most about this team? I've obviously made lots of good friends in, in the team, especially in the, in, the, in the race team, but also the factory. I think I'll, I'll just miss those, those moments of by working hard, achieving great things. But I see no right reason why I shouldn't be able to achieve that rewarding feeling with Alfa Romeo. But yeah, you know, coming to a race weekend 
pretty much every race in the last five years, uh, I knew that I have a car that I can fight for the win. I probably missed that, but I'm sure there's lots of rewarding uh, moments uh, ahead of me. Well, how much is your enjoyment of Formula One linked to having a competitive car? For sure it's linked, but it's not everything, you know. But for sure it's been great five years, you know, we've had great moments, great celebrations. I've lost the count of how many podiums I had. And uh, like I said, it's, it's the, the effort you put in and uh, the relative result you get out of it. I think that's the thing. And when it all comes to an end, Valtteri, in five, ten years hence, will you race in another category? Will you go rallying? Or will you be one of those guys who just hangs up his helmet and never sits in a racing car again? A bit like your predecessor at Mercedes, Nico Rosberg. I'm positive I'll be racing something because I just love driving cars to their limits and I love competition. Yeah, I'll be driving something, whether it's going to be like professionally or super competitively, I don't know, but it's going to be something. And I'm really open one day after Formula 1 what, is, what that is going to be. Uh, I'll just keep following my passion and keep following whatever comes ahead and opportunities and take them as, as they come. And that's what's exciting in life. You just never know what's behind the corner. And what about rallying? Rallying, definitely one option. No no doubt. I, I really enjoy it. Hey, you won a rally down at Paul Ricard, wasn't it? About <laughs> yes. <a year> ago? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's correct. But I'm, I'm also realistic, like jumping into, example, WRC against guys that have done it years and years and years, some even since they were a kid, is not easy, you know. Nah, you're a Finn. Finns <laughs> can do rallying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been Let, proven. Yeah. But, I mean, let's see. Like I said, I'll be... I'll keep following my, my passion until the very end. Valtteri, I've got to say, I, I've got this feeling that you and I are about to become rivals. It's not rivals. Is there any truth to the rumour that you're going podcasting? There will be some podcasts coming about me. Um, you know, a little bit like this, but I, I think, unfortunately, most of it's going to be in Finnish. But no, no, uh, I, that's not unfortunately at all. <laughs> <laughs> so it's in Finnish, is it? Okay. Yeah. Phew, yeah. massive sigh of relief on this side of the mic. <laughs> When's that? This winter? Um, hopefully by the end of the season or, or year, the first first episodes will, will come out. But uh, yeah, working on it. And, and will you be back in Finland to record them? Or I've already done a couple of episodes, so trying to do them whatever, find time and place. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you'll see. And do you envisage a bit of time up in your new house in Finland? Aren't you, you're building somewhere yeah, up there, aren't you? Yeah, building in, in like very north of Finland in like really remote small town. Are we talking Lapland? Yeah, yeah, Lapland area. And it should be finished like early December. So definitely planning to have Christmas there. Uh, that would be nice. But also keeping in mind that my girlfriend hasn't been able to go to Australia almost two, for almost two years now. Not having seen her family for almost two years. And uh, that has to be the priority. If I can get access with her, then it's going to be down under. But uh, if not, then it's going to be probably Lapland. Have you enjoyed the whole process of building the house? Did you get involved with the architects? Yes, indeed. We, we gave the ideas um, and we've been part of it planning and especially with the interiors and stuff. And it's an exciting project. And uh, I think it tells something about me that in the, in the house, there's only one bedroom. So I like privacy. <laughs> I don't have to have too many guests. So it's really for for just me and my girlfriend or me and my family. Brilliant. It's such a beautiful part of the world. I've been up to Kittila. Yeah, yeah. Is it near there? Or? It's still three-hour drive north from Kittila. 
So it it's can't get much <laughs> you further can, north. You can. <laughs> yeah. The nights are very long. In the wintertime, yes, but yeah, opposite in the summer, the days are endless. Well, Valtteri, just good luck with everything. Thanks for coming on the pod again. It's it's a really exciting time, isn't it? Thank for you. you just it is. With everything you're planning next year, and off track and on track as well. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Good luck. Cheers. Podcast rivals. <laughs> oh my goodness. But what a candid and interesting chat that was with Valtteri. He seems in such a good place at the moment. And as he says, maybe it just wasn't meant to be at Mercedes. Although I thought what he said about the impact of one-year contracts to be fascinating and poignant. Anything's possible in motor racing, so let's keep everything crossed for him and Alfa Romeo next season. I, for one, would love to see him on the podium in 2022. Valtteri, many thanks for your time. It was great to catch up and I look forward to seeing you again in Sao Paulo this weekend. As ever, please remember to send in your thoughts and stories about Valtteri. Have you witnessed any of his wins in person? Or what did you think of his belief that 2014 has been his best season in Formula One so far? Remember, I'll read out the best ones next week. Which brings me on to what you sent in about Tommy Byrne after last week's episode. Lots of you enjoyed it and most came to the same conclusion that he was a missed opportunity at the top echelon. Let's start with this from WH400. Tommy opens with, I always wanted to be a welder. And it seems while he has a natural gift for driving, racing doesn't sound like his passion. Sad with such skills that it isn't his passion and sad that we didn't get to see him race more. Yes, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Tommy even said it himself, didn't he? A case of what might have been. And how about this from Stefan Joram? Very interesting. I think Tommy's view of his past in this podcast is very different from how he spoke about it in the documentary about his career a few years ago. Well, thanks for getting in touch, Stefan. And I think I agree with you. He was more introspective than I was expecting. And let's hear from Merlin next. Great listen, Tom. I met Tommy at his movie premiere in his hometown of Dundalk a few years ago. Nice fella. I'd say he'd be some crack on a night out. (laughs) Well, I think you're not wrong there, Merlin. He's a hugely likeable man who's made lots of friends along the way quite clearly. And let's end with this from Kevin N. Sounds like Tommy needed guidance when he was younger. Someone to fight it out behind the scenes for him and someone to keep him focused as well. As a dad in my 50s, I think about this every day, being my kid's champion. Now, you may be right there, Kevin. I think Eddie Jordan tried with Tommy, but can you imagine what he would have achieved if someone had successfully convinced him to make Formula One his focus for a period of, say, five years? Anyway, as ever, we got lots of messages. Thank you to everyone who wrote in. We love getting them and we do read them all. And before we move on, can I point you all to Tommy's book, Crashed and Burned. It's a great read and well worth your time. So that's it for another week. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Valtteri again. And please remember to send in your thoughts and stories on him. Otherwise, I'll be back next week with another great guest from the world of Formula One. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audio Boom Studios. Until next time, keep it flat out. <laughs>